The following audio content is a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org. Today we begin a brand new series of sermons that are going to carry us from now until October 19th. And we have created bookmarks. People love these bookmarks that show who's going to preach each week and what the text is. The title of this series is Be Thou Our Vision, Days of Joy and Promise. Very important time in the life of our fellowship. Uh, And you can see all the sermons and messages who's on for each of those weeks. We began with chapter 1 of the book of Acts. So if you want to take one of the Pew Bibles, your own Bible, open up to chapter 1 of the book of Acts. This is the final encounter of our Lord Jesus Christ with his disciples before his ascension. And uh, he gives a short, marvelous message to his disciples. They have questions to ask him, and he answers their questions. And this happens just before his ascension. And that's how Luke decides to start his great book, the book of Acts, that tells the story of the early church. But let's pray first. Lord, be our teacher. Teach us from this great text. And meet us where we are, and bless us. Encourage us so that we'll grow from this wonderful scene and these wonderful words of our Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Starting with verse 6. Listen how it starts. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? In the actual Greek text, it's when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? He answered them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the father has set by his own authority, his own decision. By the way, two words are used here that are the two key words for time in the Greek language. The one word is chronos, not for you to know the times, chronos. We get the word chronology from that. It means time as it's spanned. Time as it's experienced in minutes, hours, days, months, years. The way we span time. Really, the only way we really understand time is chronologically. But the other word that's used here is the word kairos in Greek, which from which we get the English word crisis. And that means time as a an electric or fulfilling moment. The moment. The time. And there it's used in a way that defies chronology in the New Testament. But it's still one of the time words. So uh, our Lord answers them by saying, it's not for you to know the chronos or the kairos, the chronological or the kairos, the the moment, the time uh, or period. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said this, while they were watching, he was lifted up. This is the moment of the ascension of our Lord. Jesus' disciples, when they meet him uh, following his resurrection and uh, having already heard his great, first great commission that we saw in the book of Matthew where he said, uh, go into all the world, 
teach everything that I've said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the last sentences of Matthew. Following uh, the uh, final scenes of our Lord after his resurrection of the disciples comes this moment that Luke narrates for us. And it's interesting to notice that the disciples have questions. They have questions on their minds at this moment. And they don't come empty-handed. And so the whole in narrative, the whole dialogue with Christ begins with their questions. When they met him, they said, will you now at this time, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? That's on their mind. Uh, notice that the, the, there are three parts to their question. The first part of the question has to do with timing. Timing. Will you now restore the kingdom to Israel. This is the great when question that we all care about. We all live in a time frame in which we care about the uh, timing. We care about deadlines. We care about final tests. We care about fulfillment timetables. We recognize, notice in this text, they're recognizing Christ as Lord. They're, they're not wondering about that. Notice, will you He's the one who will do the fulfilling. So the question is, when will you fulfill the kingdom of Israel? So they're recognizing his lordship, but they're still asking a question about time and timing. It's on their mind. Now, the second question has to do with the disciples themselves. And that comes up when they say, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? That's themselves. That's their own heritage. That's their own family, tribal uniqueness as Jews. When Abraham, uh, who is the father of the Jews, heard that promise from from God that I'll make you a blessing and your seed will multiply and you will be a blessing and the world will be blessed through you. And there's a fulfillment there of what's going to happen to us. So really, there's a timing question on their mind. And the question also has to do with what's going to happen to us. Remember that the times are dangerous that they're living in. The Roman Empire, uh, within just a few years of this very moment, the Roman soldiers will come and destroy the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And uh, they will rename the city. Uh, They'll devastate the city. Uh, These people don't know that at this point. But they know that times are dangerous. They have seen the crucifixion of Christ. They know the terror of Roman uh, oppression. And they're living under it. And so they're nervous. They're worried. And so they're asking this in terms of what's going to happen to us. Uh, When times are dangerous, the timing question becomes very important. The people who have just watched the devastating storm Ike go across Haiti, the people there now, the storm is gone. But they're asking the question, what's going to happen to us now? Think of Houston, Texas the fourth largest city in the United States that had a building almost as tall as the Columbia Tower, 70 stories high, the J.P. Morgan building, and every single window was blown out of that building. And all the glass fell to the street. And they said even chairs and furniture were were coming out of the windows and falling to the street. Every window broken in that building, a brand new building, the J.P. Morgan building, and people, people would begin to wonder, what's going to happen? How safe are we? And very concerned about timing. Uh, as you know, when we watch hurricanes, the timing is everything. We're wondering. We're asking the question, what's going to happen to us? 
And that's in this question. Lord, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel, to us? What about us and what we're facing? We see the terror of the, of the Roman Empire around us. What's going? It's a question that's on uh, every patient's mind when they're in a doctor's office, wondering what's going to happen to us. What's going to happen uh, in terms of this illness or this crisis medically that we're facing? So that's the second question. The third question is theological, profoundly theological. What's going to happen to the kingdom of God? See, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I've already pointed out to you in the, in the whole series we've done on the parables of Jesus that our Lord uses kingdom in a very decisive way to refer to his will and the will of God in the world. That's the way kingdom is used. The book of Mark begins, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. And the parables began, the kingdom of God is like this. Uh, Rabbi Hillel, who wrote the, the Talmud, uh, who lived before our Lord, said that every Jewish prayer to be a proper prayer must pray for the kingdom of God. And our Lord must have agreed with Rabbi Hillel because when our Lord taught us the one and only prayer he taught us, the Our Father prayer, listen to it. We've just recited it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Notice, we recognize the Lordship of God. Hallowed, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. Every time you say the Our Father prayer, you say that. Just like Rabbi Hillel said in the Talmud, we must pray for the kingdom of God. And our Lord agreed. We pray for the kingdom. Now the disciples are asking, what about the kingdom? Will it now be restored? Let me see if I can interpret that in its deepest sense. What they're saying is, will you now fulfill the promises of your will? The promises that have been made throughout our Lord's ministry. The promise first made by God to Abraham uh, when Abraham was called forth and said he would be blessed. Will you now restore your promises? Will you fulfill those promises that are mentioned? On the cross, our Lord made promises that are profound. One, uh, the first word from the cross is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That was made about Roman soldiers. But the big question is, can Jesus keep that promise? What do we do with that promise? Or the promise to the thief, when the thief says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, amen, I say you, today you'll be with me in my kingdom, paradise. Can Jesus keep that promise? Can Jesus keep the promises he's made to forgive your sins, to make you whole? How, what do I do with those promises? And in a way, they're asking that question. Lord, will you now restore, fulfill your kingdom? for Israel? Well, that's the th those are the three questions that they're asking. Will you fulfill the Our Father prayer that we, are, what we say every single Sunday? Now, how does Jesus answer these questions? I want to reflect on that today. How does he answer these questions? Well, first, as for timing, Jesus places a healthy restraint upon our natural desire to know endings and especially the timing details. And I don't know if you welcome what Jesus says, but he says it. He says it for your good, I believe, and I'm going to try to make the case for that right now. And what he says is healthy for us to hear. We haven't always wanted to hear it. Obviously, the disciples didn't. 
They said, will you now, when will you restore the kingdom? That's a timing question to Israel. When will you fulfill all the promises? And Jesus says this, it is not for you to know the chronos or the kairos. It's not for you to know even the chronological datings of when things are going to happen in your own life for the life of the world or the kairos, the fulfillment of everything. It's not for you to know. It's in the Father's hands. You know, I've often quoted the C.S. Lewis line, you might as well leave it in his hands because it's there whether you leave it or not. (laughs) And in a sense, C.S. Lewis got that idea from this text. Jesus says, it's not for you to know. It's in my hands. It's not in your hands. I'm management. You're sales. <laughs> you know, you're not in. You're not in this. It's in my hands. It's not in yours. It's in the Father's hands. Uh, timing is not in your hands. Now, why is this restraint healthy? I think it is healthy. And uh, it's a matter of fact. I want to say something. It sounds pretty bold and in, in a way. Christians have always gone astray when we have focused on time and timetables instead of upon Christ himself. We've always gone astray. And now I have to tell you, that's been more of a Protestant mistake than a Catholic mistake. We Protestants love to uh, take shots at our parents, the Roman Catholic Church, the Latin Church, or our uncles and aunts, the Orthodox. But the Protestants in the 19th century are the ones who made fools out of themselves with prophecy. All kinds of prophetic fascination with timetables. Timetables on when the world's going to end. Timetables on the last days. Oh, earthquakes, that must be the last days. And uh, even predicting dates. And it's the Protestants that have erred in this, in this direction. And, and it's really true. The error causes arrogance on the one side. Some people became very arrogant. I still remember way back in 1973 when I was the pastor at Berkeley Church speaking to a group of students uh, and this one student came up to me proudly and said, you know, I'm, I was going to go to medical school, but I'm not going anyway because I've seen that I've been reading this book, uh, this prophetic book, and I know the world's about ready to end. All the signs are sure clear and it's about ready to end. So there's no time for me to go to medical school. I probably won't get married because there's no time for that. I certainly won't buy a house. There's no time for that. He didn't know about the credit crunch or anything then. But... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do all those things. I'm just going to, because uh, uh, I know the world's about ready to end. And I was so distressed to hear that young man say it. So I decided to play devil's advocate. And I said, hey, if I were the devil and I wanted to make you irrelevant in the world, how would I do it? I wouldn't say, I'm the devil. I want you to be irrelevant. No, I would disguise myself as an angel of light. And I would get into what you're interested in, timetables. And I would say, you know, the timetables are really clear. The world's about ready to end. Don't go to medical school. Don't do any of these things. Don't get married. Don't have children. And that was 1973. And the young man was going to be a doctor. He's not a doctor. Where could he be now? What could he be doing now? He could be in Haiti helping people that are really in distress. And what's he doing now? He's probably bitter because his end, his timetable didn't turn out. Christians have always made a mistake when they became fascinated with time and timetables. It has not been helpful. It has not been edifying. And this is where we need to listen to our Lord here. Our Lord said, it's not for you to know the timetables. Or the other option, if it's not arrogance, it becomes despair. And people become discouraged because things don't turn out the way they they thought. They thought something was going to happen by a certain date and it didn't turn out on that date. And so they become despairing. And it's not edifying. 
So our Lord has already given us something here that's totally edifying, totally helpful. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. That's not in your hands. He said it clearly in Matthew 24th chapter, by the way, in the Mount of Olives speech, which the Beethoven that has just been sung by our choir is from Beethoven's Mount of Olives. It was in the Mount of Olives speech that our Lord said, be prepared, do your job, for I will come like a thief in the night. You'll never know when I'm coming. And the Apostle Paul picks that up in Thessalonians and says, some people are saying the world's about ready to end here and now. Don't believe it. The Lord will come like a thief in the night. The same image is used in the book of Revelation, like a thief in the night when you least expect it. In other words, this is in God's hands. It would not be helpful for you to know the time of when you're necessary, the time when you're going to die. That would not help you. It's better not to know. It's better to live every day. Like Bonhoeffer said, I live every day as if it were my last and every day as if there were a great future. I live that way here and now. So uh, our Lord takes that out of our hands. We're more healthy trusting him day by day, working day by day than to fascinate ourselves with chronological or kairos speculations. And so this text is a great text to the church. It's a great text to every single Christian in all the things we have to face. Well, then if he takes the timing and restrains that, then what does he give us? Ah, now there are no restraints. If there's a restraint on the timetable, there's not a restraint on what we're to do. No, we're to get on with our lives. We're to eat, we're to to work out a task that he gives us. And here's the task. You will be my disciples. The holy, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you will be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus gives us a task that really answers all the fears at the heart of the worry about my family. They were worried about Israel. Worried about themselves. And it's very interesting how our Lord handles that. He handles that fear about what's going to happen to us, Israel, by enlarging the family, first of all. He shows that the family, the promises to Israel are going to be promises for the whole world. So he, instead of taking away your family, he enlarges your family. By the way, I put on the front of the bulletin a wonderful quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther is reflecting on Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all ye nations. And his reflection on Psalm 117 goes like this. I'm reading now from Martin Luther. The psalmist proclaims with just a few words the great work and wonder of God. The gospel and the kingdom of Christ are promised at the time, but are still undisclosed. See, we don't know the timetable. It is so often said that God is not alone, the God of the Jews, but also of all people and not a small part of all people. But all of them scattered over the whole world. For when the author names all nations, he excludes no one. And this huge forever family that's given to to Israel, to these disciples, these 11 disciples are given a huge family, not a small family. And that's how our Lord fulfills their concern for Israel. Israel is treasured, but Israel now becomes a part of a whole large family. And that, of course, uh, is what they get to be a part of, is to welcome in that large family. It's a little bit like an athlete that makes the team in spring practice on a soccer team or a football team. And this young man or woman joins the team, tries out, and the coach just does allow him to be on the team. That happens in spring practice. 
Maybe he's a walk-on and gets chosen to be on the team. He doesn't know what games he's going to play. He's on the team, though. He's going to be there in the fall for that team. The, the times and the seasons are in the coach's hands. And all the things that happen in, in route. But he's on the team. He has a job to do. He is empowered. And that's, of course, what happens during the summer when they have these workouts and they have to do the stadium runs and all that. And the team player gets empowered for the games. But he's on the team. And the team is a big one. You know, the Apostle Paul was on a ship, a prison ship, going from Caesarea on the way to Rome to be where he'll have his, his fatal enrollment, his fatal uh, final period of his life in the Roman prison. But on that ship, he meets up with a centurion named Julius. He befriends a centurion. The centurion befriends him. There are many other prisoners that are in the stocks of that ship. And the ship begins to break apart in a storm. But before the ship breaks apart, Paul, in the middle of that storm, has an amazing encounter with God who says, Paul, don't worry. You have to still speak before Caesar. You have a job still to do. You're going to be all right. Oh, and by the way, everybody on the ship is going to survive too. <laughs> Notice he just increased, the Holy Spirit increased Paul's family. Everybody on this ship with you is also going to survive this storm because you've got to get to Rome. I got to get you to Rome. So I'm going to get you, but I'm going to bring all the others with you too. And that literally happened. That Julius set all the prisoners free to save Paul's life and they all swam to shore in Malta. That's an amazing story. It's an amazing thing. God is increasing the size of the family and fulfilling that way. Now, best of all, you're going to be assured by the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit is given by our Lord. And in a few days, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, is a Jewish feast of Pentecost, which celebrates the giving of the law. And on that day, these disciples are given a gift of assurance. The assurance of their relationship with Jesus Christ. As Bart says, the Holy Spirit is the one who assures us that Christ is also for me. That his good news is also for me. And they're assured of that. It happens on the day of Pentecost. And the sign that they're given is an interesting sign, not a mysterious sign of glossolalia, not speaking in tongues. That, that's a later sign that sometimes comes to the church, not always. But the sign they're given is the sign of communication. The people from all different nationalities hear the gospel in their own language. This large family, that's the sign given to Peter and the disciples on the day of Pentecost. They are assured... They're given hope for the present, companionship with Christ with them, and they're teamed up with others, and it's all going to happen on a day-by-day -day basis. You don't need to know the end time. You don't need to know the times are seasoned. You need to know that here and now, I live my life as a servant of Jesus Christ, and I trust him. Bonhoeffer put it this way in his After Ten Years essay. He was trying to explain how he felt in a prison situation in Germany. And he wrote to his friends. He said, some people feel they have to abandon all planning. And they're forced back to living uh, irresponsibly, frivolously, or resignedly. Notice, either arrogantly or in despair. And uh, some long dreaming, dream longingly for a better time to come. But they forget to live in the present. He says, I find both of these courses equally impossible. There remains only for us the very narrow way, often extremely difficult to find, of living every day as if it were our last 
and yet living in faith and responsibility as though there were a great future. I live that way here and now. I leave the future in God's hands. I leave the, the end time in God's hands. But I have the promise of Christ's presence with me here and now. And I live that here and now. He, and he ends this whole piece by saying, it may be that the day of judgment will dawn tomorrow. In that case, we'll gladly stop working for a better future, but not before. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is our Lord's uh, wonderful gift to us before the ascension. We get to live in his presence, trusting him and knowing his, his grace and knowing his faithfulness here and now. Oh, by the way, a P.S., did you hear the Beethoven uh, Hallelujah that was sung? You know, the most moving moment, I was talking to choir members uh, afterward. I love the Beethoven uh, Hallelujah. It's in the Mount of Olives. But I love the point that with Beethoven, he did something very subtle. I don't know if you noticed it. Maybe some of you now are going to stick through the 1130 service to hear this. But I want you to notice what he did. He was singing days of wonder and joy. In fact, the text was really quite moving there. Uh, Man proclaim his grace and glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord in songs of joy, in holy songs of joy. And it went over and over again, in holy songs of joy, in holy songs of joy. And did you notice in the third go-around, the joy was put into a minor key. A minor key. And that minor key is the most electrifying moment in the Beethoven, hallelujah. Holy songs of joy. And it went into the minor key. There can be joy in the midst of the storm. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. I see the choir members smiling because we talked about that, didn't we? That that's the moment that you get the the goosebumps too when they get to sing it. That holy sounds of joy in the minor key as well as the major key. Heavenly Father, thank you for this. Thank you, Lord, that we can live in your presence. I just thank you that we can claim this kind of promise for all the people near to us. They may be members of our families that are facing uh, health issues right now. We pray for that for them. There may be people that we know that are uh, wondering about huge events that might happen in, in the future, like those in Texas and Haiti. Lord, help them to find hope here and now so they don't despair, but live in the present, trusting in your faithfulness. And Lord, for each of us, you know our journeys you know our, every one of our families. You know the people we are concerned about. You know the ones that we love and care so much about. Lord, give us confidence to trust you in the present, to trust your faithfulness and your grace, uh, knowing that uh, our lives are in your hands. And that's so such good news. And knowing that uh, you're, uh, you're empowering us and you're putting us in a team And you're giving us a job to do, to expand this family, to welcome in people all over the world to discover your grace. May that be our joy and and our gift. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All University Presbyterian Church online audio is available on both CD and cassette. If you would like to support the mission of UPC by ordering copies of sermons or classes, please visit www upc.org forward slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301.
Extension 117.